This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for July 29th, and we're starting today in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 with Joash, the young boy king. And if you remember from last time, um, Athaliah, the evil queen mother, had sought to do away with the entire royal line of Judah, Uh, but Joash was hidden away and eventually crowned king. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother was Zebiah from Beersheba. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada chose two wives for Joash, and he had sons and daughters. Sometime later, Joash decided to repair and restore the temple of the Lord. He summoned the priests and Levites and gave them these instructions. Go at once to all the towns of Judah and collect the required annual offerings so that we can repair the temple of the Lord. Do not delay. But the Levites did not act right away. So the king called for Jehoiada the high priest and asked him, Why haven't you demanded that the Levites go out and collect the temple taxes from the towns of Judah and from Jerusalem? Moses, the servant of the Lord, levied this tax on the community of Israel in order to maintain the tabernacle of the covenant. Over the years, the followers of wicked Athaliah had broken into the temple of God, and they had used all the dedicated things from the temple of the Lord to worship the images of Baal. So now Joash gave instructions for a chest to be made and set outside the gate leading to the temple of the Lord. Then a proclamation was sent throughout Judah and Jerusalem, telling the people to bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of the Israelites in the wilderness. This pleased all the leaders and the people, and they gladly brought their money and filled the chest with it. Whenever the chest became full, the Levites carried it to the king's officials. Then the court secretary and an officer of the high priest counted the money and took the chest back to the temple again. This went on day after day, and a large amount of money was collected. The king and Jehoiada gave the money to the construction supervisors, who hired masons, carpenters, to restore the temple of the Lord. They also hired metal workers who made articles of iron and bronze for the Lord's temple. So the men in charge of the renovation worked hard and they made steady progress. They restored the temple of God according to its original design and strengthened it. When all the repairs were finished, they brought the remaining money to the king and Jehoiada. It was used to make uh, utensils for the temple of the Lord, utensils for worship services and for burnt offerings, including ladles made of gold and silver. And the burnt offerings were sacrificed continually in the temple of the Lord during the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada lived to a very old age, finally dying at 130. He was buried among the kings in the city of David because he had done so much good in Israel for God and his temple. But after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded the king to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshipped Asherah poles and idols instead. Surprising that you would go so far in the other direction, isn't it? 
Then the anger of God burned against Judah and Jerusalem because of their sin. The Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him, but the people would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's command so that you cannot prosper? You have abandoned the Lord, and now he has abandoned you. Then the leaders plotted to kill Zechariah, and by order of King Joash himself, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. That was how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty and love, by killing his son. Zechariah's last words as he died were, May the Lord see what they are doing and hold them accountable. At the beginning of the year, the Aramean army marched against Joash. They invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the nation. Then they sent all the plunder back to their king in Damascus. Although the Arameans attacked with only a small army, the Lord helped them to conquer the much larger army of Judah. The people of Judah had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so judgment was executed against Joash. The Arameans withdrew, leaving Joash severely wounded. But his own officials decided to kill him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest. They assassinated him as he lay in bed. Then he was buried in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. The assassins were Jozebad, the son of an Ammonite woman named Shimeath, and uh, Jehozabad, the son of a Moabite woman named Shomer. The complete story about the sons of Joash, the prophecies about him, and the re record of his restoration of the temple of God are written in the commentary on the Book of Kings. When Joash died, his son Amaziah became the next king. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Jehoadin from Jerusalem. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. When Amaziah was well established as king, he executed the men who had assassinated his father. However, he did not kill the children of the assassins, for he obeyed the command of the Lord, written in the book of the Law of Moses, quote, parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor the children for the sins of their parents. Those worthy of death must be executed for their own crimes, unquote. Another thing Amaziah did was to organize the army, assigning leaders to each clan from Judah and Benjamin. Then he took a census and found that he had an army of 300,000 men, 20 years old and older, all trained in the use of the spear and the shield. He also paid about 7,500 pounds of silver to hire 100,000 experienced fighting men from Israel. But a man of God came to the king and said, O king, do not hire troops from Israel, for the Lord is not with Israel. He will not help those people of Ephraim. If you let them go with your troops into battle, you will be defeated, no matter how well you fight. God will overthrow you, for he has the power to help or to frustrate. Amaziah asked the man of God, But what should I do about the silver I paid to hire the army of Israel? The man of God replied, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the hired troops and sent them back to Ephraim. This made them angry with Judah, and they returned home in a great rage. Then Amaziah summoned his courage and led his army to the Valley of Salt, where they killed 10,000 Edomite troops from Seir. 
They captured another 10,000 and took them to the top of a cliff and threw them off, dashing them to pieces on the rocks below. Meanwhile, the hired troops that Amaziah had sent home raided several of the towns of Judah between Samaria and Beth Horon, killing 3,000 people and carrying off great quantities of plunder. When King Amaziah returned from defe defeating the Edomites, he brought with him idols taken from the people of Seir. He sent the set them up as his own gods, bowed down in front of them, and presented sacrifices to them. This made the Lord very angry, and he sent a prophet to ask, Why have you worshipped gods who could not even save their own people from you? But the king interrupted him and said, Since when have I asked your advice? Be quiet now before I have you killed. So the prophet left with this warning. I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not accepted my counsel. After consulting with his advisors, King Amaziah of Judah sent this challenge to Israel's King Joash, the son of Jehoahaz and the grandson of Jehu, come and meet me in battle. But King Joash of Israel replied to King uh, Amaziah of Judah with this story. Out, of the, out in the Lebanon mountains, a thistle sent a message to a mighty cedar tree. Give your daughter in marriage to my son. But just then a wild animal came by and stepped on the thistle, crushing it. You may be very proud of your conquest of Edom, but my advice is to stay home. Why stir up trouble that will bring disaster on you and the people of Judah? But Amaziah would not listen, for God was arranging to destroy him for worshiping the gods of Edom. So King Joash of Israel mobilized his army against King Amaziah of Judah. The two armies drew up in their battle lines at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by the army of Israel, and its army scattered and fled for home. King Joash of Israel captured King Amaziah of Judah at Beth Shemesh and brought him back to Jerusalem. Then Joash, uh, Jehoash ordered his army to demolish 600 feet of Jerusalem's wall from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. He carried off all the gold and silver and all the utensils from the temple of God that had been used in the care of Obed-Edom. He also seized the treasures of the royal palace along with hostages and then returned to Samaria. King Amaziah of Judah lived on for 15 years after the death of King Jehoash of Israel. The rest of the events in Amaziah's reign from the beginning to end are recorded in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. After Amaziah turned away from the Lord, there was a conspiracy against his life in Jerusalem, and he fell, fled to Lachish. But his enemies sent assassins after him, and they killed him there. They brought him back to Jerusalem on a horse, and he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. As God's messenger, I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. 
We are all part of his one body, and each of us has a different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith that God is speaking through you. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, do a good job at teaching. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend that you love others, really love them. Hate what, was, what is wrong, stand on the side of good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always prayerful. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. If people persecute you because you are a Christian, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. When others are happy, be happy with them. If they are sad, share their sorrow. Harmony with each other. Don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, do what the scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For, and they will be ashamed of what they have done to you. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. Psalm 22, we are finishing the psalm today. O oh Lord, do not stay away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Rescue me from a violent death. Spare my life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. Then I will declare the wonder of your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among all your people. Praise the Lord, all who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored the suffering of the needy. He has not turned and walked away. He has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you among all people. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. People from every nation will bow down before him. For he, the Lord, is king. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Let all mortals, those born to die, bow down in his presence. Future generations will also serve him. Our children will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those yet unborn. He, they will hear about everything he has done. Proverbs 20, 8 through 10. When a king judges, he carefully weighs all the evidence, distinguishing the bad from the good. 
Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure and free from sin? The Lord despises double standards of every kind. And to finish today, we're going to go back to the life you've always wanted and start in the next chapter, which is called Interrupting Heaven, the Practice of Prayer. And for today, I want to talk about that idea of interrupting heaven. John Ortberg talks about the Hail Mary pray, uh, play um, in football. And he writes, I believe that Mary is brought in for the last play of the game because prayer is something we generally associate with desperation. The idea behind this terminology is that for the majority of the game, I can rely on my own resources. I will depend on my game plan and my personnel. However, at a moment of crisis and desperation, when I've run out of time and opportunity, when human cleverness and mortal strength have failed me, and when all other options that's the time to throw up a prayer. Hail Mary. Desperate people pray. They pray without thinking about it. They pray even if they are not sure who they are praying to or if anyone out there is listening at all. And I can relate to that before I became a believer. When I read that line, I thought, yeah, I used to pray not really knowing who I was praying to, but it was instinctual. The Lord has given us that instinct to cry out to him. People in foxholes pray. So do people who go through divorce, have children that run away, or hear from a doctor that the lab results say the growth is malignant. When we reach the limit of our resources, we pray instinctively, reflexively, like the way a man lacking oxygen gasps for breath, and the way a man who is falling reaches out for something to grab. It is not bad to pray in a time of crisis. One of God's most amazing attributes is that he's humble enough to accept people when they turn to him in sheer desperation, even when they have been ignoring him for years. Desperation prayers have been the beginning of spiritual life for many people, but by themselves such prayers are not sufficient to sustain spiritual life. Many of us fall into a pattern where the only times we pray are the time when we are prompted by crisis or pain. The rest of the time we rely on our own strength and cleverness. This pattern points to what we really believe regarding prayer. In most ordinary moments, we are not convinced that prayer really changes things. So um, he looks at the scripture of the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, and John describes a scene in heaven after the seals have been broken on the scrolls that tell the story of human sin and violence and God's judgment. He says, then a remarkable thing happens. John writes that there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. During this time, an angel with a gold censer comes to the altar and offers much incense, which is a representation of prayers arising from the earth. Quote, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before from the angel's hand, unquote. Following this come great acts of judgment on the earth pictured by rumbles of thunder, flashes of lightning, and great earthquakes. But what is most striking is that these acts come in response to the prayers of the saints. Usually we think of events on earth being interrupted because of actions taken in heaven. However, here it is the other way around. All of heaven comes to a standstill. The endless songs and praises of heavenly hosts stop. Why? Because someone is praying. All of heaven stops so that the prayers of the saints, your prayers and mine, every one of them, can rise before God. They are heard. They matter. 
prayers of real human beings like you and me interrupt heaven. And what happens next on earth happens because people pray. Walter Wink says that this is the message of John's text. Quote, history belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. And I want to stop there today and just leave you with that thought that your prayers interrupt heaven and hope that you would be inspired to pray more today. Love you all. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.